If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 140 and we're interviewing Jackie C. How are you doing this morning, Jackie? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. So uh, let's dive in here. Tell me okay. about your childhood. Oh, God. Start, start from the beginning. I, Lord have mercy. I, I don't even know how to begin. Well, I guess it could be, uh, my mom was a raging alcoholic. And uh, from my earliest childhood, I can remember it was me taking care of everybody. And I'm talking as a small, small child, like four and five. And my mom uh, worked the bars and uh, we had grandparents that helped out a lot, but my grandmother uh, had rheumatoid arthritis, so they couldn't do much. Well, my mom started going to the bars and having me staying with my sister. And uh, one night she didn't come home and I got scared and I called my grandpa and, uh, my grandpa come and got us, and the next day, what had happened is my mom got put in jail. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, that night when we got home, my mom beat the holy crap out of me. Told me if I ever call my grandfather again that, you know, it'd be hell for me. So this went on until I was like eight and a half, and we, I'm from Michigan, and we moved into a state park. It was me, my mom, and her best friend and her kids. And they laid out drunk all the time. And one night my grandfather showed up and uh, I had gotten into a fight with my mom and she had punished me and threw me in the tent. And uh, uh, my grandpa was like, well, I'm going to take her with me. So we leave. And uh, about three or four days later, my mom's best friend calls and says, uh, you know, where's Chris at? She still ain't back. And, uh, my grandpa was like, well, where's Jeannie, which is my little sister. And they're like, well, we have her. And my grandpa goes, well, I'm gonna come pick her up. And, uh, she was like, well, what are we going to do? And she says, you know, Chris, she'll show up. Well, three weeks go by and, uh, nobody heard from my mom and they ended up, uh, throwing our stuff out that we had at that campground and a state cop shows up one morning knock at the door and uh he come in and he asked for my grandma and grandpa and uh asked us if we would leave so my aunt took me and my sister outside and I already knew and uh my mom had got killed she was uh hit by a car the night that uh I left and uh she laid in a morgue for three weeks and was unidentified because she didn't carry no ID or nothing on her so going into that so I went from taking care of my mom and my sister who were alcoholics to taking care of my grandmother and my grandpa and my aunt my grandpa worked all day long and like I said my grandmother uh, had arthritis really bad and she couldn't walk or nothing 
So it was a pill thing now. Went from alcohol to now pills every day. Be oh afraid God. to walk home because the, the alcohol and the pills. You were taking alcohol and pills? I wasn't taking them. My grandmother was. Your grandmother was, okay. What? But I'm watching this, you know, as I'm growing up. And uh, I don't know, I was about 12 or 13. And the first thing I tried was marijuana. So, and it was an escape to taking care of everybody at home. And like I said, my grandmother was, it, it was terrible. It was every month, all month long. <clears throat> I got to catch my breath for a minute. Take your time. I have a talk to this all time. So I guess that's where the drug abuse started. I was about 12. And uh, it just has been downhill ever since then. So you were 12 when you first started trying marijuana? Yeah, it started off marijuana, then mescaline, and uh, drinking. That's a pretty big jump from weed to mescaline. Who, uh, oh. who, who introduced you to this stuff? Friends, you know, it was the early 80s and everybody was doing it, you know? Yeah. And uh, I did it for a long time. And uh, then when I turned 15, I started sneaking out because <clears throat> where my grandmother was sick all the time and I was the one who took care of everybody, I never got to do nothing. So I started sneaking out and getting into trouble and uh, ended up getting pregnant. At what age? 15. And uh, from there on, you know, I, I never really messed with anything after that, after I got pregnant. And, uh, but I ended up having four kids before I turned 21. And uh, I didn't do no drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. And uh, me and my uh, fiance, we broke up. And uh, so I needed a job. And lo and behold, I walk into a bar. And well, I think that was the worst mistake of my life was right there. What age were you <laughs> when this happened? Pardon me? What age were you when you went to the bar for a job? 21. So from 15 to 21, I really didn't do anything. You know, okay. I was trying to be a mom, trying to do everything different. But when you hide all that stuff, you can't kid yourself. <clears throat> so for the next 10 years, I went full blown into it. I started doing cocaine. I started smoking crack for about 10 years. And uh, in the meantime, uh, my kids were staying with me, staying with my aunt, staying with their dad. So it, it got pretty bad. And then. So this all started with that job at the bar you were saying? Yes. Yeah. I stayed and worked in them bars for 10 years. It was in a little town in Michigan and there was a bar on every street corner. So no matter, you know, if I got fired or quit this bar, I could go down and get a job at this bar. Well, then I had an opportunity to move to Kentucky and uh, wanted to get my kids out of there and stuff. So 
I moved here to Pikeville, Kentucky from Detroit, Michigan, thinking that I was going to get away from everything, you know, move to a little town. And when you think little country towns, you think good things, you know, mm -hmm. uh, big uh, family picnics and, you know, well, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> the pills here, I mean, it was a matter of months and then I was hooked on pills and uh, hooked on them for 10 years. And uh, get off of them, get on Suboxone, and I remarried. I married a guy who was 10 years younger than me. And uh, he started getting into doing the math. And I, after coming to Kentucky and uh, started doing pills and stuff, I didn't like speed drugs no more. I wanted to be, you know, down, passed out, you know, not alert to whatever was going on around me. And, uh, well, he started staying out all night and not coming home. And by this time, I was 45 years old and I couldn't hang. And I thought I was going to lose my husband. So I started doing meth with him. First, it was smoking it. And then, well, no, it's snorting it and then smoking it. And then I started shooting it. Real quick, yeah. real quick, going back when you were growing up, just to step back for a moment. What was going on with school? Did you have any type of social life? Were you going to school? Um, Just in school. None whatsoever at all. None. No social life. None. And, you know, I think it didn't bother me that much because it was embarrassing anyway. You know, what was going on? What do you mean? To have friends at your house? You don't want them to right. see what's going on? Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, even there's so much stuff that I have left out. <laughs> but, Take your uh, time. To, you know, this is the place to let it out. Right. Your, your story will help someone. Right. And then I started on that mess, though, and I started shooting it. And then within seven months, I was in the hospital with incarditis and almost dying. What, what's that, incarditis? It's uh, when, when you use a needle. And if you keep using them, you know, because I'll just put it out there. I, people, when, before meth came here, people were getting high and stuff. But when meth came here, it was a whole new ballgame. It really was. You know, uh, when, when I, I just don't know how to explain it because I never shot before that. But I know people that did. When you would do... Uh, an oxy or whatever, and you would shoot it. Now, I never shot oxys or nothing like that. I was so totally against the needle. But uh, an oxy high or whatever, and heroin high, they last so long, like eight hours. When you do meth, it's like you want to do it all the time. You know, one right after the other, one right after the other. And what happens is needles start getting scarce, and you start using your same needle. And a bacteria that gets on it, whether it be dust or whatever, when you shoot that, it goes straight to your heart valve and it gives it an infection. And if you don't know that you got it, by the time I got to the hospital, I thought I had the flu. Never in a million years did I ever think it was my heart. And within five minutes, they knew I was sick. And uh, he would come in and he would tell me that it was going to go in and repair my heart valve with a robot and this, that, and the other. And uh, 22 days later, it was Christmas Eve, and they took me in to do the surgery. 
and I first I woke up and then after I woke up I went into cardiac arrest I guess but I don't remember none of this because I guess I was I don't remember waking up they said I did so they ended up having to go in and do open heart surgery and uh I was sick for a long time uh seven months I laid in the hospital couldn't walk you know just giving up on life and uh I got out and uh within two months I was back doing it again <laughs> believe it or not back doing the same stuff again you because nothing had changed what was nothing it like Huh? I'm sorry. I was just going to ask. It's just going back a little bit. I don't want to skip ahead too far, real quick. I want to go back and just say, what was it like raising your kids as a, being a full blown drug addict? Because well, I mean, it, you, you had a lot of children. It wasn't like you just had one. You said you had four. Right, right. Like I said, it, you know, it was between my aunt and uh, me and their dad. So I'm just now getting that relationship back with my kids now. So. Uh, but uh, so I started doing parts of the week. They'd be at the aunts and then the fathers, and then they come back. To, or would they well, be taking whenever, them when you? Whenever I wasn't getting high, let's put it that way. Okay. And then uh, when I got out of the hospital, you know, nothing had changed at home. Everything was still the same. And then when I got home, instead of my husband just being a, a meth, he was selling it now. So we had all kinds of people over. They were doing heroin. They were doing meth. And here I was on a couch, couldn't walk. So I just, I gave up and started doing it again. And uh, I got put right back into the hospital. Same thing. And the doctor told me, he said, you know, I can turn around and not do this surgery. It's up to me. And no one else will touch you because I've already done the surgery. So uh, we was going to do the surgery and I got scared because they talking about me not being able to make it and all this. So I walked out before they shipped me to Lexington to have the second surgery. And about a week later, I walked into a church and they were doing Celebrate Recovery. And, uh, and then from there on, I mean, it's all been good. But like I said, I've just left out so much. There's been sexual abuse. Well, tell us about it. We have we have plenty of time, and we want to hear. Uh, I mean, if you're willing to talk about it, obviously, if it's something that you can't talk about. But like it, I said, you know, sharing your story will help people. I'm trying. I'm just so over, up and down, and all over the board. Understandable. I know this is this, this could be hard. I understand. Uh, my mom's boyfriends, boyfriends. You know, she had a lot of them coming in and out all the time. And, uh, you know, they would try to do stuff with me. And I would tell my mom and, and she would call me a liar and tell me it was me. And I was just trying to steal her boyfriends. I mean, and this is oh, before man. I was 10. Oh. And, uh, you know, uh, she never believed nothing I said. Nothing. I don't know. She She just acted like I was the reason that she was like she was. And I wasn't, you know. Um, my mom had a lot of problems too, you know, and honestly, and we'll never know what they was because she never told us, you know, I was a little kid. She's not going to tell me what was going on in her life. So, so right now I'm into trying to forgive her for all the stuff that she had done. Is it hard to forgive her? Yeah. 
Yeah, because my little sister, she spoiled her and showed her so much love when we were growing up that when my mom died, I, you know, told my grandma and grandpa, I said, I hope things change, you know, and that you guys don't just do whatever my sister wants and uh, start putting a smack down on her. Oh, we won't. Things are going to be different here. And it wasn't. It wasn't no different. But before my grandfather died, I found out that it was just because he couldn't handle her. It was easier to do what she wanted than to sit and argue with her about not wanting it, you know. But to this day, me and my sister don't even have a relationship because of all the stuff. And she's still in active recovery. I mean, she's not in active recovery. She's in active addiction still. But she also uh, has got the same thing that my grandmother had. And she's dealing with that. So I guess they ask me questions because I don't. There's just so much in my head. You just don't even know. So, as a child, what were some of, I mean, did, so you didn't tell anybody else as far about the sexual abuse? I know you said you told your mom and she didn't believe you, but did you tell anyone else? Like, uh, I told my grandpa, grandpa like, when, yeah, but, when it would happen, I would call them, you know, go to a neighbor or something. They would always come and get me. So, but it, it was no use arguing with my mom because... You know, it just wasn't any use because they couldn't control her. They never could. And then, you know, uh, be, you know, watching all, you know, talking about, you know, me not having a social life. About uh, 10, 15 years after I graduated, uh, I bumped into an old friend of mine and I went and stayed with her a couple nights. And we started going through old pictures. And uh, I was like, where's the pictures of me? And she said, I don't want to bring them out. And I'm like, why? She said, because I don't want to get you upset. And I said, why would I get upset? Well, when she brought them out, I understood, you know, uh, where I told you we didn't go out or nothing. A lot of it was because my grandparents were old fashioned. They figured where they messed up with my mom that they would try to fix me or my sister. We had to wear clothes that they wore in the 50s, you know, uh, in the 80s. Instead of having big hair, I had a boy haircut and looked like a boy. So, and, you know, my friend, she said she knew what was going on. She always did. Her and her mom. But there was nothing they could do about it. There's my yapper. <laughs> but uh, and nobody I just, ever, nobody I ever a, called. Nobody ever called the police, I guess. No, no. Back then, they didn't do that. You know, they didn't call protective services back then. So, and you know, like with my mom, all her friends knew what, the, what she was doing, and they didn't do nothing. They knew that her boyfriends was messing around. They didn't do nothing. It was like everything was so hush-hush. And, it, you know, nowadays it's not, you know, nobody keeps their mouth shut about nothing. But, you know, back in them days, it's something you didn't talk about. Uh one thing I do remember, it was my aunt later on telling me that the day that I, the night I left the campground and she died, uh, after I had left, she stayed and uh, 
my mom went to my aunt and said, uh, look at these. And my aunt said, what's them? And back in the 80s, they used to give you uh, uh, alcohol pamphlets, you know, AA and stuff. They would have them in the, uh, the library or they'd have them in the counseling rooms. And my aunt said that my mom said that I gave them to her. And my mom said, if my nine-year-old thinks I have a problem, you know, maybe I do. But that was the last time anybody ever talked to her. So it never got past that. Kind of wish, you know, wish my aunt never would have told me that because, you know, just it's just been a rough life and I just don't know how to put it out there. And that's why I thought talking to you would be good. No, and I just, just... you know, it's just so much abuse in my life. And it's okay. Uh, A lot of abuse for my husband. So, you know, and now I'm alone up in a holler in a trailer and I don't trust nobody. Well, you know what? Real quick, you mentioned your husband. Tell us about married life. And how oh, that was. Gosh, and he such a narcissist. I'm not, I'll tell you how bad he was. When I laid there in the hospital uh, after open heart surgery, he was in the bathroom having sex and shooting dope with girls. <laughs> Honestly, uh, he wasn't there. The only time he was there was to rub stuff in my face. Uh, before the meth, you know, I'd catch him doing stuff and would argue with him not to leave. So instead of uh, me and him arguing, it turned into a fist fight. And then he would choke me out and leave me laying there and leave. And I'd wake up and there would be nobody there. But I mean, it was every day kicking me out and, and moving girls in and me having to live on the streets. It, and then me going back to that because I didn't have nowhere else to go. What's the longest you were ever on the streets? Uh, I was homeless for two years after I got out of the hospital. That's and a then, long time. Yeah. And I was sick. You know, I was still sick. And uh, I went to the homeless shelter. They got here. And I think that was the best thing. That was the start of my beginning to get it better. And they helped me get a place. And like I said, I walked into that church uh, that one night and it was the first time I ever felt anything, you know, with God or whatever. And uh, since then, I've been just fighting to stay true to me. Been fighting to stay just so I could take care of myself, you know. It's the first time I've ever done anything on my own to do anything for me since I've been on my own. I just used my crappy life as an excuse to continue the way I was living in it. And you can't. It'll kill you. So what was it actually like living on the street? Where did you stay at night and stuff? They got, well, you can, you know, stay at some friend's house until you can't take staying there no more. I've slept in the, uh, they got a tunnel. I've slept in the tunnel. Uh, we've slept by the riverside. I mean, slept in abandoned houses or trailers. You just, it's, it's awful, you know, 
And then before I went to the homeless shelter, I had a friend that lived down the street from me where I used to live with my husband. And she let me stay there. And that's when I found out about the homeless shelter. I guess I had too much pride to go to the homeless shelter (laughs) to start with. So, but I swear that was the best thing. It was the start of me getting everything together. And it's been a long road, a long, hard road. Tell us the things that you did to get better. What 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 was the first thing in the process of your way to becoming, you know, well, it, finding God was one. And I, you know, I used to spend seven, eight, nine hours in a bathroom, you know, by myself shooting dope. And when I started going to church, I was so lost and so didn't know what to do that I spent my whole days for months reading the Bible and writing Bible verses down. I have so many notepads full of just Bible verses that I thought that I needed to hear and need to listen to. So I keep writing them down and writing them down. And uh, I did that the whole time I was at the homeless shelter. And then when I first got my first apartment, uh, I did it for a while and then COVID hit and they shut the churches down for a while. So I didn't get to do that for a while, but I had high rise for almost two years, but there was so much drugs running through that place that thank I didn't relapse, but it, it almost, you know, I mean, opportunity was knocking and uh, I had to leave and I bumped into this old woman who her husband was fixing a trailer up that they'd had for many, many years. And uh, they, I told her my story from you know everything I didn't want they're good people and I didn't want them to find something out about me that I didn't tell them so I told her my whole life story and they just they they like me because they see how much I'm trying you know so I I don't know I I just feel like I I, I just I want to be an inspiration and try to help somebody but I just feel like I'm still not done you know I'm still not done with the healing process, it's a lot to get over. What kind of things and are that, you doing? I'm sorry, you go. I was going to say it then, not having no family. It's hard because, I mean, I'm talking to my kids and stuff now, but, you know, they don't live here. They live in Michigan. So I'm pretty much up here by myself. So I don't know anybody. Because I never really got to know nobody around here because I was on the drugs, you know, from the first time I got here. And I've been here almost 20 years now. So So what things are you currently doing to continue to heal? Uh, I still do my Bible studies and I still do my Celebrate Recovery Steps. Um, I, I am a, now I started, uh, my own online business, uh, influencer for, you know, health, wellness, and beauty, which is starting to take off right now. So, I mean, I, what I do is I stay away from everybody because I know that's what I need right now. Is it hard to be by myself sometimes? Yeah, but it's worth it. In the end, it's going to be worth it. Because he's like this last year, I've built a lot. I've, I've come so far just in this year. I've come farther in this year than I have this whole time, you know. So 
and then mm-hmm. and then now too because you know the open heart surgery and all that now i'm having other health issues so it seems like every time i get a step up two or three i fall down five <laughs> so but i handle that too i speak to a counselor once a week uh so i mean this is right now this is the only tools that i have you know what i'm saying so there's not much here in this state for people that are on drugs they're trying to you know make it better here but i swear the meth has ruined it it's ruined it here so many people are on it so i don't i i don't know so real quick going back to celebrate recovery do they use the 12 steps because i've heard of them I know well, they're a religious-based program, but I don't know if they have their own steps or not. I'm just curious. We, we, you know what the Beatitudes are? The what? You know, do unto others as you do unto you. Well, you I've heard of that. Eat. Okay. We go by that, and we'll do the serenity prayer. But they think, you know, to me, I mean, I believe it, too. The only way true healing is through Christ, you know, because I tried everything else, everything else, Jim, and nothing worked. And, you know, when they told me that my heart stopped, you know, and, and I'm like, I told you, I don't remember nothing. You know, I hear people say they see a light or the, uh, an old grandparent or something. I don't remember seeing nothing. It's black to me. And in my head, I thought that maybe I didn't have enough faith in God. So that's why I didn't see nothing, but celebrate recovery. It's, it's steps that you can keep doing. You know, I've been through the steps, but I'm going back to step one. And then, like, they got a step four, which is an accountability step. And that's for you and anybody that's done anything to you. And that's a really, that's a hard one. It took me six months to complete it. So, I mean, it, it, if you want to work it, it, it works. It really does. But you got to want it. I anybody could sit here and we could talk till we're blue in the face unless that person you're talking to wants to get clean they're not going to unless they want to and i've seen so many people get pushed into it and you know it's just i've been you know people have been pushing trying to push me into it my whole life until you are ready to quit or it's got to be your rock bottom and I just, I just don't see anybody's rock bottoms no more, Jim. I really don't. Used to be when you went homeless, that was your rock bottom. Lose your kids, that's your rock bottom. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I just, there's just so much crap going on out there right now. I just, I don't know. I swear I don't. I feel like this pot isn't going to help anybody. <laughs> no, that's not true. I, get... I swear. Cause I just, I'm still in my recovery process and I'm still here and over here, you know, and being bipolar doesn't help it either. <laughs> no, I know all about that. I'm bipolar as well. It yeah. Doesn't... Yeah. You're I'm all around the table. Dual diagnosis. Yeah. I, I'm writing yeah. an article right now on mental health and yeah. addiction and yeah. there's a lot, you know, a lot of different things going on, like you said, in people's heads. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and I, like I said, I'm still healing. So it's hard, you know, for me to say, you know, I know I'm always going to be an addict. I know that. You just got to 
get the steps and to to know how to handle your your triggers and your you know you just got to know life hurt life sucks it does and you just got to know how to handle it and you know i'll tell you what i met a girl one time and i used to always use it oh poor me poor me poor me what this girl told me blew my mind because i would have probably shot myself in the head that's how bad she had it and who was i to sit and whine about to me little things compared to what happened to her so i just gotta be humble I think we're not live, right? You're just recording it. <laughs> yeah, I no, think we're just you need recording. to hold on to this one and let me write down, let me write my testimony because it's something that I haven't done yet. Maybe I could do that and put it all down in, in order. Well, but yeah, we can talk about that because I, I do have a section on our website where I post people's stories. Okay. Because I think maybe that would be better. Because I'm not a good speaker. I'm not. I, my my bipolar, I'm just, I can't stay at one subject. <laughs> I'm always bouncing around. No, don't. You did a great job today. Well, it's something that I ain't talked about in a long time. Yeah, well, I only have one last question for you. Yeah. And I'm just curious. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening? That there is hope. There really is hope because if I if I can get my 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 life together and, and to get where I am right now, I know there's hope for other people because I have done this on my own. So just if there's people that are wanting to help you, reach out to them. Let them help you. You know, let somebody help you that's been through it. You know, I know opinions come from everywhere, but if you got somebody telling you and they have been there, you need to listen to it. Just like with me. I mean, never did I end up think that I'd ever end up in a hospital like I was because to me, I've always been the strongest person I've ever met. <laughs> and that don't make no sense because I've always had a drug problem. But to me, I just think, People just need to reach out, you know. Don't be ashamed of what you've done because there's people out there that's done worse. There's people out there that's done worse. And don't ever be afraid to tell. I mean, tell your story or tell or whatever it is that they're going through. I don't know. Like I said, Jim, I'm still in that healing process. So it's it's a journey. It's a journey. But if you're ready to take it, the grass is a lot greener on the other side. My God, it is. So much better. Well, I think you should be absolutely proud of yourself. It's a lot of stuff you've done, a lot of stuff you've been through. Right. It's hard. Still, still got a lot of work to do. But like I said, I mean, see, that's where you said that you're, uh, are you going to school right now, Jim? No, not me. Oh, see, uh, I'm right now, I'm trying to get my student loan because I want to be a drug counselor. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Because, I, you know, I, and that's another thing why I think that it took me so long to get clean. Because if you ain't been there, this is the way I see, you know, I sit here and listen to these counselors telling me, oh, my God, you dropped dirty and, you know, and whatever. But when you've been there, recovery is a long process and people mess up all the time. 
but you cannot throw them away because they mess up. You know what I'm saying? But people that haven't been through, they, they don't know, they don't know the agony, the dirt and all that. So even people that have been in recovery for 10 years have messed up, you know, mm-hmm. you just gotta, I just think that to me, the counselor that's counseling that, that person needs to know where they're coming from. I had been through so not ex- I think I would that'd be a good thing for me. And and I think that I would help a lot of girls. My next go right there. So <laughs> Well, thank you for all that. I think I think it's a good place to wrap it up. Did you have anything else you wanted to add in? I wish I like I said, I wish I could have put it all together better. <laughs> But it was the first time that I tried to tell anybody. So, so, but when you get that testimony stuff going, just message me. Absolutely. We'll talk about it after this podcast. All right. I appreciate you, Jim. Thank you so much. No, it's been a pleasure. So sit tight. Everyone watching and listening, I hope you like what you heard and saw today. If you did, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. We are also available on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. Facebook, and TikTok. We also have a website where there's plenty of resources and approved literature, and the website is www.addicts-anonymous.com. And uh, like I said, there's plenty of stuff that you can check out there. So once again, I like what you heard. So I hope you like what you heard and saw. And until next time.